0: We are uh, beginning a new series, a short series on Advent. And we are going to be looking at, for the next three Sundays, including the 24th, we're going to be looking at the Gospel of Matthew in a sermon series I've entitled Matthew's Jesus. Typically, it's in the Advent season that we look at Two Gospels in particular, the Gospel of Matthew and the Gospel of Luke, because it's in those two Gospels that it records for us the Nativity, the the story of the birth of Christ. But for our purposes for the next three weeks, we're just going to be looking at the Gospel of Matthew. There's four Gospels in the New Testament Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Each Gospel tells us about the life and ministry of Jesus Christ. And each Gospel. Um, shares some similar stories and similar accounts. But also each gospel has a different take, has a different perspective, tells maybe of one part of Jesus's life that Luke and Mark don't tell about. And together, collectively, we have a good snapshot of what the life and the ministry of Jesus look like. But for our purposes for this Advent, we're going to look primarily at the gospel of Matthew and the first few chapters of the gospel of Matthew. One thing I want to point out to you is the Jewishness of the gospel of Matthew. The Jewishness of the gospel of Matthew. Matthew was a converted Jew. And although he had fully committed his life to Christ and following the way of Christianity, he never forgot where he came from. He understood his roots. He understood the culture in which he had been born into. He understood the culture in which he still existed. And what he was intent on over and above all of the other gospel writers, was writing to an audience that needed to understand that this man, Jesus, was the promised Messiah that was promised generations ago. And so Matthew... All throughout his gospel, will point out to the Jewishness of this Jesus. How Jesus is the one, the promised Messiah, who has come to fulfill prophecy. And all throughout the gospel of Matthew, and you'll see it in our passage this morning, you will see this phrase, that it might be fulfilled. That Jesus is the one that answers all of our promises, that answers all of the hopes and dreams that we have in life. And so, will you turn with me? to Matthew chapter one, verse 18 through 25, Matthew one, 18 through 25. This is the story, the precious story, Matthew's account of the birth of Jesus Christ. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother, Mary had been betrothed, simply means engaged to Joseph And he called his name, Jesus. Grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our Lord, no, the word of our Lord, it stands forever. Amen. At some point in our life, we have all been... In an uncomfortable or even humiliating situation. At one point in our life, we can remember that time where we have been stuck. We have been stuck in an awkward, uncomfortable, even humiliating situation that we don't know how we will either get out of or how we will even explain. Well, it's that type of circumstance that and situation that Joseph finds himself in today in this passage. Joseph is confronted with a very humiliating, awkward, uncomfortable situation and circumstance that he himself has no idea how he will even begin to explain or how he will be able to get out of. And we even see the tension in verse 19 for Joseph. It says, and her husband Joseph being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame. So what, what that verse is saying is Joseph's a just man. He understands the moral law. He understands what is at stake. That Mary, who he's betrothed to, is carrying a child that is not his own. So he understands the justness of the situation. He understands the the moral law. But at the same time, he's dealing with this tension of being a gracious man. At the same time, I, I understand that I'm just. That I have to uphold the moral law. But at the same time, I don't want to put her to shame. I don't want to humiliate this woman. And so he finds himself dealing with this tension, totally awkward, totally uncomfortable. And to put it into our current context, I want, to, I want you to put yourself for a moment in Joseph's shoes. Here's Joseph, a proper man, a just man, a well-known man in his society, and he's got to take out his buddies. He says, I, I got some news for you guys. All right, Joseph, what's, what's going on? You know, Mary, who I'm engaged to, well, she's pregnant. Oh, okay, Joseph, that's okay, all right. Well, thanks for, I know that's not the way you planned it out to be, but I mean, thanks for sharing that information. Well, not only is Mary pregnant, but I'm I'm, I'm not the father. (laughs) Joseph, how could she do this to you? I mean, oh my goodness, Joseph. I mean, what are you going to do? Well, guys, it's not only is Mary pregnant and, and not only is, Well, is she with child, but God's the father. Okay, well, you can imagine when I say Joseph has been dealt a very uncomfortable, awkward, humiliating situation, imagine having to tell your friends, the girl you're with is pregnant, you're not the dad, and God's the father. Try to explain that to your buddies um, this week. And that's the situation that Joseph finds himself in. How in the world will I explain this, and how in the world will I get myself out of this one? And it's in the midst of dealing with this tension that God comes down. And isn't that exactly how God works? Just when we think there's no way we can explain this, in our humiliation, in our awkwardness, in our being absolutely uncomfortable, that's when God comes down. And he says, I will intervene here. And God sends his angel, the messenger of grace, and gives Joseph an understanding of what is going on here. And God sends his messenger by way of a dream. And it's while Joseph is dealing with this tension, not knowing what to do, that God intervenes and God comes down. And he challenges Joseph. The angel challenges Joseph with two things in order to try to make sense of what is happening And I pray there are two things that challenge you as well this morning. The angel challenges Joseph with who this child is and what this child came to do. Because until you understand who this child is and what this child has come to do, Christmas will never make sense. We'll never be able to explain it. We'll never be able to grasp it. We'll never be able to comprehend it. And so just as the angel challenges Joseph with these two things, I pray there are two things that challenge your heart as well this morning. Who this child is and what this child came to do. First, who is this child? Well, the big thing that we take away here is that the angel wants Joseph to understand the gravity of this child is the very son of God. This child is God himself. And the angel will take Joseph across these next few verses, beginning in verse 20 and all throughout verse 22 and 23, to impress upon Joseph the reality and the truth of who this child is. And starting in verse 20, in understanding, understanding who this child is the angel comes to joseph and the angel says joseph son of david do not fear to take mary as your wife why for that which is conceived in her is from the holy spirit what the whole what the angel is trying to say is that child in mary's womb is god and you have to understand that that you are shall not fear that you have nothing to fear because that child is from God. You have to understand the gravity of what has happened, that God has come down and he's taken on human flesh and he breaks into the world and he breaks into history. And the child in Mary's womb, that young teenage girl that you're betrothed to, is carrying God himself. You have to understand who this child truly is. And to further clarify, the angel goes on, not only is Mary carrying the very son of God, but in verse 21, it goes, the angel goes on to say, she will bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus for he will save his people from their sins. That he there, that he will save his people from their sins was only reserved for God. All throughout the Old Testament, we are told God will save his people from their sins. God will save his people. God will save the people from their sins. But in an instant, the angel says, God is he. The God is Jesus himself. Jesus is the one who you've longed for. Joseph, uh, Joseph, Jesus who is coming, who is the very Son of God, who is in the womb of the woman you're betrothed to, is the very promised one who has come to take away the sins of the world. This is the one whom your fathers and your forefathers and your forefathers that came before them have promised to the people. Make no mistake about it. This is God who has come in the flesh. And just in case Joseph still wasn't clear about who the child was in the womb of Mary, in verse 22 and 23, he says this all took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken to the prophet. And then he quotes Isaiah chapter 7. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel." Joseph, make no mistake. Have no fear. The child is God who has come to take away the sins of the people. And this is the one who was promised 700 years before by the prophet himself, Isaiah, the very child that Mary carries is Emmanuel. Do you understand the gravity? The angel is challenging Joseph and ultimately challenging you, maybe for the very first time, to understand that this Jesus that was born 2,000 years ago did not come down So we could hang garland and lights and have Christmas parties and exchange gifts. This Jesus came down to be God in the flesh, to be Emmanuel, so that he could dwell with you. Who is this child? It's God with us. You see, this reality that God... Jesus is Emmanuel, speaks to the all or nothing nature of Christianity. You see, often critics of Christianity will say this. Why can't you Christians just speak of Christianity as one of many good religions? It's it's one of the items on the buffet. But when you Christians speak, you talk about the all or nothingness. You talk in such a way as if Christianity is superior to the other religions. And the reason is this. The all or nothingness of Christianity is because of Jesus himself. You see, all of the other founders of all the other world religions the world has ever seen come down and they say this, I will teach you the way to God, or I will show you the way to God. But Jesus comes down as the founder of Christianity and he says, I will not show you the way to God. I will not teach you about the way to God. I am the way to God. And that is the all or nothingness of Christianity. Why there is no other founder of any other world religion in the history of the world that can make that claim. And the only reason Jesus can make that claim is because he is God himself. If Jesus is not fully God and fully man, we have no right to make that claim that there is only one way to God, but because Jesus is fully God and fully man, then we can stand on that promise that there is one way to God, that Jesus is not just a way, but he is the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. Jesus is Emmanuel. And you will hear songs on the radio and in this church and even in the department stores that speak to Jesus being Emmanuel And if we actually understood the gravity of that statement, that Jesus is fully God, we would drop our gifts. But we don't. But I pray you start doing so this morning. Jesus is God with us. Who is this child? He is Emmanuel. And Joseph needed to be confronted with that challenge. And maybe some in this room need to be confronted with that reality this morning. The all or nothingness of Christianity. Fully God and fully man. But not only does the angel challenge Joseph with who this child is, Emmanuel, he also challenges Joseph with what this child came to do. And it's found in verse 21. And if you don't understand the context, you'll miss it. The angel says, she, she will bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus. How does that speak to the radical nature of what Jesus has come to do? 2,000 years ago, in a Jewish culture, who had the only right to name the child? The father. The father was the patriarch of the family, was the patriarch of the home. It was the father that would name the child. Why? Because naming the child meant you had complete control over the child. It meant you had complete authority over the child. But the angel comes down and says, no. Joseph, this child, you will have no control over or authority. But instead what? This child, this baby has come to have complete control and authority over you. You see, if Joseph was given the right to name the child, Joseph would have had all authority and all control over that child. But the angel comes down and says, no, you shall name him Jesus. Sent a radical message to Joseph and all those around him saying this, that this baby that comes will have complete control over your life. This baby that comes down will have complete authority over your life. This baby that comes down, you do not name him. This baby will name you. And that is the radical nature of what Jesus has come to do. And you see, it's when we understand this, that we truly understand the gravity of what Jesus has come to accomplish. You see, there are some here this morning, you might, be, you might have been a Christian for 20 years and you've truly never grasped the concept that Jesus does not fit into your life, but that you fit into his life. That Jesus is not the type of individual that you say, Jesus, you are, this is the type of person I need you to be for me in my life. Jesus says, no, that's not how the way it works. Jesus comes into your life and says, this is the person I want you to be in your life. This is how I want you to live. This is how I want you to be. I have complete control. I have complete authority. I have complete dominion. You don't tell me, I tell you. Now when we hear that, if we're honest, it rubs us the wrong way. Because we have been preconditioned our entire life to believe this. Happiness is found... When I have complete control over all things, when I can control my spouse and my kids and my career and my relationship and my finances and my future, when I have complete control over all things, that is where happiness is found. And if there's anything out of control in my life, that's when misery begins to set in. Where did that lie come from? It came from the garden. You see, it's in the garden in Genesis 3 that God says, here are the boundaries and here are the rules. And Adam and Eve say this, figuratively speaking, they didn't literally say this, but in their actions, this is what they communicated to God. God, you cannot be entrusted with my happiness. If I offer complete control to you of my life, you cannot be trusted. And that's what we say to God every single day. God, I know you require complete control over my life and complete authority, but somehow you just cannot be trusted with my happiness. Therefore, I have to take back control over my life. But the truth is this, that we will never truly find peace and happiness and contentment and the forgiveness that our hearts long for and hope and satisfaction and joy until we surrender to Jesus until we understand that this baby that was born 2,000 years ago will not be controlled, that he has come down to control you, that you do not have authority over his life, but that he has authority over your life. The only reason we can sing that this Jesus brings us glad tidings of comfort and joy is until we realize that true life and true happiness is found when we do not control our lives, but we understand that Jesus has come to truly control our lives. But if this goes back to Genesis chapter 3, and every single person in this room deals with and wrestles with control of some nature, controlling my life and my situation and my circumstance and my future and my spouse and my kids and my relationships, if we all deal with this problem of giving God complete control of my life, what will ever cure us? What will ever cure us from the sickness and believing that happiness is found with complete control of my life? There's only one hope. The only thing that will fully cure you to believing that I can offer my life fully to God is when you understand that this Jesus came to give his life fully for you. Listen to me. I can only give my life fully and wholly to God when I understand that Jesus Christ ultimately came to fully lay down his life for me. When I understand that he gave himself up for me, then in return, I realize my only hope is to now give my life fully up to him. God giving himself up for us is your only hope and my only hope. You see, This truth about Joseph not being able to name his child sent a signal to him that this child would not be named, but that this child would name him and ultimately name you. You see, what happened there in the birth of Jesus was a complete reversal of roles, not only for Joseph, but for you this morning. And this is the reversal that Jesus came down. And the reason he fully gives himself up is so that he can fully take your place. So that you take on the glories and the riches and the righteousness of Jesus. And in return, he takes on all of our unrighteousness and all of our sin. And takes it and lays down his life, giving himself up for you and for me. You see, we have to understand that that baby lying in a manger ultimately came to swap places with Joseph and ultimately swap places with you. Ann Voskamp, who is a popular author and teacher, tells the story of a few couple years ago going to Southeast Asia to adopt a little girl. And after a couple of years, she tells the story of last Christmas. They her and her husband with their adopted girl were sitting by the Christmas tree and they had a nativity scene. And the little girl learning to talk goes up to the nativity scene and she takes Mary and takes it over and says, Mama And then she goes back and she goes underneath the tree and she picks up Joseph and goes back and says, daddy. And then she goes back and she picks up the baby and she says, this is me. This is me. And until we understand that that baby lying in a manger It's ultimately you, that that baby came to take your place, live the life you couldn't live, died the death that you should have died only to be raised again. When you understand that that baby lying in a manger came 2000 years ago, ultimately for you and to take your place, you will never understand the purpose and meaning of Christmas. And we're going to give you a a moment. We're going to give you an opportunity in a few minutes to embrace this Jesus, maybe for the very first time. Because the truth is this, that this baby did not come down simply 2,000 years ago to be born in a dark manger, but also this morning the opportunity is given to you and the invitation is given to you that this same Jesus can be born in you this morning if you would invite him in. As I said last week, and I'll say it again, that whoever believes in this Jesus In this Jesus, God gives them the right to be called a child of God. And you too can be called a son or daughter of the king this morning. Would you invite him in and understand this, that Jesus came down to give himself up for you so that you in return would give yourself up to God.